Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. Well, we're, uh, we're in the book of John, and um, I want to ask you a question as we begin. There are a few uh, things or people that have one thing in common, and they kind of are strange, but uh, has anybody ever heard of Rainbow Man? Or uh, Tim Tebow, or uh, for the department store Forever Twenty One, uh, In and Out Burger. Anybody ever been to In and Out Burger? I'm jealous if you've been. I've always wanted to go. But all of these have something in common, and it is the greatest verse in the Bible. They have at one point, or on several occasions, posted it. Uh, in the case of In-N-Out Burger, they have it on the bottom of every one of their milkshake uh, containers. In the case of Forever 21, it's on every bag. Tim Tebow uh, made uh, college history by, under those, those, uh, those light, night light things that they put there, he wrote John 3.16. And Rainbow Man, um, some of you are old enough to remember Rainbow Man. Rainbow Man got tickets to everything, and he would find his way down to the goalpost or to behind the plate at the World Series or at the Kentucky Derby. He was even at the royal wedding of Princess uh, Diana and the other guy. And every time he did the same thing, he held up the greatest verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Today we want to look at that verse, the greatest verse in the Bible. What makes something great? What makes it the greatest in sports, they have a new term. They don't just call them the greatest anymore. They call them, anybody know what that term is? The GOAT, right? The GOAT, greatest of all time. We won't talk about that in, in terms of quarterbacks, but we all know. Um, baseball has people like Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds and others. Chefs these days are getting into all kinds of competitions. See, who's the greatest? Uh, there's all kinds of things that are trying to jump on this greatest bandwagon. I wrote down, uh, even in leadership, uh, we, tend to, we, t- we tend to rank those who excel above others as greater. Um, for instance, what makes something great, right? When, when talking about speaking particularly, what makes a great message? If I were to, to stand up here and to, as I'm doing right now, and, in, and to talk with all of you in regards to something amazing or profound or, or life-changing, what would it be for you? Would it be the statement? Would it be the poem? Would it be the verse that has stricken you to the bone? I think of some of our greatest orators in history. I think about, uh, in my day, Ronald Reagan. Um, one of his most famous statements was, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. But, but as, as presidents go, uh, John F. Kennedy had a great statement. Ask not what your country can do for you. This is a good reminder. But ask what you can do for your country. I think about men like Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. Or Nathan Hale, he says, I regret that I have but one life to live for my country. Or even Abraham Lincoln standing at Gettysburg, the, the greatest battle of our own civil war. And he began those words that are now famous in most of our minds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And then Martin Luther King, what a man. Martin Luther King wrote these words, and I want to read them for you so that I don't say them out of turn and, 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 and ruin it. But he said, now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's creation. It'd be fatal for the notion to overlook the urgency of the moment. And then he went on to say, I... I have a dream, we we know that part, right? Ending in free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, we are free at last. Now probably one of my most favorite orators was Winston Churchill. I don't know if it's a British accent or not, I I wish I could do that. Maybe one Sunday I'll preach in a British accent, how about that, yes? No? No? Okay, I won't wear a kilt though. Sorry. Winston Churchill said uh, in, during the Battle of Britain in one of the bleakest moments, he said, we will fight them on the beaches. 
We will fight them on the landing grounds. We shall fight them in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight them in the hills. But we will never give up. We will never surrender. And he inspired a nation in that radio broadcast that he did from his bunker. Several things go into the greatness of the message. The person. I mean, rarely in history do we look at a person who's kind of failed in all morality and go, oh, that was a great speech. We think about the event or time in history, the outcome. Did it inspire? Did it, did it bring power to the bold? Today before us, this Easter, is the greatest verse in the Bible. That's not up for debate. It is the greatest verse in the Bible. It's the greatest message, hopefully, that I will have ever preached on the greatest verse in the Bible. And you understand that, right? You understand as our hub today, I wrote this down, and I don't want it to seem conceited, so stay with me. The, greatest, the greatness of the message is only as great as the greatness of the one giving the message. I'm just a speaker. When I say speaker, I'm thinking like that. I'm not the one giving the message. Point to the one who's giving the message. God is giving the message, right? And so this is the greatest verse in the Bible. Let's say it together. We're going to have it on the screen. John 3.16. Let's say it. Go ahead. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we come before You. We are... We are humbled. We are humbled because we were not worthy to do what he did. We are humbled because when we look at our own humanity and our own frailty and our own sinfulness, we, we clearly were not righteous enough to save ourselves. We're humbled because he was perfect in every way. The scripture tells us, God, that that Jesus was tested in all accounts and yet without sin. That he knew us in our weaknesses. He knew everything. We're humbled because of the great love with which he loved us. In that while we were yet sinners, Paul wrote, he died for us. And so humbly we come to hear from you and to chronicalize this, this great verse and to personalize it. It's not just, God, it's not just good enough to come and to punch the clock today. God, help us to internalize, personalize, and put into practice everything that we are about to hear. And we will thank you for all that you're going to do. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would awaken hearts who need to hear the truth of the gospel and that they would be saved today that they would turn from their sinfulness and turn to a loving Savior who climbed up willingly on a tree to die. Be with the speaker, God. Measure His words so that people may know, people must know. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great privilege for me to speak this message again. This is a message that I have spoken several times. I think of two other occasions when I have given this, this greatest verse in the Bible. And so maybe you have it written in your Bible, but there's always a good time to bring John 3.16 to bear, right? The first time that I, I gave this uh, was when we began uh, Harvest Bible Chapel. It was our first Easter, and it was at uh, North Elementary and uh, this is a message that was crafted with a bunch, a bunch of my friends. It's not all great material that I came up with. Others helped feed into this. Um, and I'll speak it again, so write it down. Write it down. The greatness of the message is only as great as the greatness of the one who's giving the message. The speaker is not the one giving the message, but it is the Lord Almighty. 
And it becomes even more great, I wrote in my notes, as you personalize it. As you personalize the hope. There's a hope here. As you personalize the power and the incredible meaning of the greatest verse in the Bible. And let's begin with the first two words. For God. Right? You see it there in the text. For God. That is, the greatest being. The greatest being. Well, well, there's a problem, Nate, because I don't, I'm here today, but I don't necessarily believe that there is a God. Yeah, there is, that is a problem. My, my question is, what do you believe in? Well, I believe in science. I believe in science. Well, what exists shouts the existence of a creator. What exists shouts the existence of a creator. Everything in the universe shouts the existence of God. I have this picture on the screen, galaxies, universes, stars, solar systems, screaming the existence of God. In fact, it's interesting to note that scientists have come up to say that the known universe, what we know of the universe, and I'll I'll read this, the known universe cannot actually be measured. That the actual known universe is as uh, to the known universe as the known universe is to an atom. What we know of the entirety of the universe is only in comparison to what we know of an atom. It's that small. Yet, Psalms 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Everything in the universe shouts the existence of God. Design shouts the existence of a designer. I don't know, how many wear a watch these days, that works, right? But if I were to set my watch down here and we were all to leave, and then out of nowhere, my watch just exploded and began to multiply, and then my watch became as big as this room, and then my watch became as big as the state of Ohio, and then my watch became as big as the country of the United States of America, and then my watch became its own world. Nate's world, Nate's watch world. Yet you would look at that and go, somebody made the watch. Somebody made the watch, Nate. There was a creator of that watch. And I would say to you, God has created everything. God has created everything. There's a moral argument that says, well, I don't believe in God. And if there is no God, then there is no evil. And if there is no evil, there is no right or wrong. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. And if you're one who doesn't believe in God, the greatest being, you might even feel that way. But if there is no God, there is no evil. And if there is no evil, then there is no right or wrong. And then if there is no right or wrong, why do I feel so guilty when I do something? Why do I have a conscience that condemns me when I lie or or when I steal? Why do I sit in my bed at night, wide awake, thinking of all the wrongs that I have done? Why do I struggle to admit when I'm wrong? If there is no God, but there is a God. Amen? Anselm of Canterbury said a thousand years ago this, and I'll let you ponder it. God is the greatest being. God is the greatest being. He went on to say, there is one who is great. Therefore, God is the greatest being. God is the being in whom there is none greater. There is one that exists that is the greatest. Therefore, God is the greatest being. Now, here's what I know. The truth of Christianity and of who God is have satisfied some of the greatest minds in all of history. You go out and seek him. God, the greatest being. Most Americans believe in God, even in this dark age. But most people are quickly to believe that there is something greater outside of themselves, even if they don't believe in God. But let me just tell you for a moment about God. God's omniscient. Write that down. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. Think of that for just a minute. God knows everything including what you thought on the way to church today. 
including what you thought last night, including what you did. God knows it. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere and right now is listening to what's being said and is moving in our midst. And God is omnipotent. Potent means powerful. Omni means all. That means He is all powerful. He's so powerful that He's able to take the hardest thing in the world and turn it into soft putty. And that was this heart. I love where this starts. The greatest verse in the Bible starts for God. That's a great place to start. And listen, good news. Everybody say good news. Good news flows from a great motivation, an awesome motivation. The greatness of the message is only as great as the greatness of the message giver. And the motivation is seen in the next two words. So loved. So loved. That's the greatest reason. Now, you know me, I don't like to do a lot of a Greek, because we don't speak Greek, but it's kind of important to kind of talk about that word loved. It's not what we think it means, but this might blow you away. That word in Greek is a past completed action. Past completed action. It's a decision made because God loved. Now don't let familiarity, church, listen, don't let familiarity in your heart cause it to become hard. Because we might think, of course God loves us. It's perfect love. Before you were born, listen, before you were born, God loved. God loved you. Now think about all you've done. In the course of time and history, yet Jesus sits in front of Nicodemus and he says, God so loved. God loved you in this way. God's so loved. God's love is perfect. And that's good news. But shouldn't he be deeply, shouldn't he be deeply like disappointed in who we really are? Shouldn't God be deeply angry with me? I mean, what would you put there? Knowing you and knowing the world that we live in and God is so Vengeful. God is so upset. God is so disgusted. Yet the text says, God so, what's the word? Loved. Past completed action. Decision already made. It's a remarkable statement. First John went on to say that, in fact, God is love. All that is exemplified in God so that we can know it is love. True love is God's love. All that is embodied in God is love. And we see it in Jesus Christ so we can be like him. In fact, that great text in Ephesians that says that we are to love as Christ loved us. Now think of that. With humility. With sacrifice. All that is in love is expressed in God so we can experience it. We need to look no further than this day. God is love. And he climbed up on a tree. Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree, the text says. So that we can experience the love of God. God so loved. When we talk about that, we're talking about unceasing selfless action. It is a decision. God is working unceasingly in selfless action for you. Let me say that again. It's a great spot for an amen. God is working unceasingly in selfless action for you. He benefits nothing. He receives nothing. He needs nothing. Yet unceasingly he acts in a selfless way on your behalf. Because God so loved. Look in your mind's eye to that peasant girl in Nazareth. Her rounded belly as she screams in pain. 
with a child about to be born on Christmas Day. God is in there. God is in that action. The incarnation. The ultimate expression of who God is and how He loves. And maybe you're like many people and love has, has eluded you. Maybe you just don't get it. Surrounded by people but unloved, used or abused or neglected or rejected. But what a great privilege I have to proclaim to you the greatest verse in the Bible that God is unceasingly and selflessly working on your behalf. And I want to tell you, the message of the Bible is God loves you. Your parents may not, your siblings may not, your girlfriend, your boyfriend may not. Your spouse may turn cold. Your children may not love you, but listen. God loves you. And when the sun comes up, it shines God's love on you. Nine of us this morning went and watched the sunrise. When that sun comes up, it screams what Lamentation says, that your mercies are made new every morning. When you hear a bird singing, they are tweeting the reality of the, that we are swimming in the oxygen of the universe of a God who loves us. It's an unalterable reality. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Yet, God continues to love us. You need it. I need it. The world needs it. I needed that message this morning. How about you? It doesn't matter what other people think. I have a God who loves me. The third thing from this text is the world. We see it. For God so loved the world. That's the greatest need. That's the greatest need. My wife just had jury duty. Miserable case horrible, wanted to puke when I found out about it. I've served on jury duty before. Uh, grand jury, when, when Bysville Pharmacy got robbed, that was horrible. I remember having a young lady in my youth group at 14. We found out that her dad was, was selling her on the internet. 14. I'm not going to argue that the world is the greatest need. It's a dark day we live in and it's going to happen again and nothing will stop it. But the, the Bible indicates that the world is broken and tragic and twisted everywhere we look. The entire world is vomiting, sick with sin. It dulls our senses and our need for God. Everyone is searching everywhere to meet a need. But listen, only God will meet that need. The world. God so loved the world. Not just the good guys. Notice that. Not just the select few. God loved the world. John Calvin said, The Father loves the human race and wishes that none should perish. Now there's no sound theology, no biblical theology that does not embrace the reality that God so loved the world. Maybe you have the brokenness of your heart to say, I'm not even sure. But listen, God loves you. God loves you. More than you can imagine. Well, I need proof, Nate. All right, write this down. That he gave. That he gave. That's the greatest act. That's the greatest act. It's the hinge of human history. Everything changes on this. We cannot eclipse the human problem that sin has separated us from God and that God is holy. Amen? God is holy and humanity is sinful. And if we were to look at it this way, we were on separate cliffs, universes apart, and we could not jump to God and we could not build a bridge to God. God had to act and God did. I'm sure you might think, yeah, the world's pretty broken, Nate, or my neighbor is 
and I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but he's kind of broken too. But listen, you'll never get John 3.16 until you internalize the message of John 3.16 that you were the one he was after. I don't know, Nate, I'm a pretty good dude. Well, let's just go down God's top ten. Let's start with lying. Every wrong impression, every time you benefit yourself, every time you defend yourself by not telling the truth. Not a lot of people pass that test. But, we'll, but let's consider lust. Uh, don't even desire what's not yours, right? I, I'm thinking about little children. I had little children at one point. And if I would give one of them a present they all wanted that present. It didn't matter if I gave each one to something different. They wanted what the other one. They, even from a young age, we lusted after things that weren't ours. And nowadays, I mean, it's just so prevalent everywhere. I doubt many of us pass the lust test, the coveting. What about adultery? Well, I've, I've never done that. But Jesus said, don't look at an individual in a lustful way or you have committed adultery. What about no other gods before me? That's, that's like right up there at the top, right? We don't have idols, Nate. We don't have idols made of stone. We don't have idols made of gold. We don't have idols made of wood, but we've got idols. We've got things that we put before God all the time. We've got things that we claim are more important than the assembling of one another together, than reading His Word. We spend more time doing some things than we ever do opening the Bible. Do you now hate me because I tell you the truth? John 3.16 will never be a personal verse for you without the personal observation and the personal application. John Piper said this, sin is intrinsically ugly and outrageous in the universe. Yet to trifle with sin is to treat it as minor or, or casual, and it is to miss what it is. He ends this way, sin's outcome is eternal misery. And I, and I like this because I don't think we think about this. He says, Satan, he says, sickness and insanity cannot damn your soul to hell, but sin can. That he gave, it's the greatest act. Now, Ready for some good news? All right, because that's really a bad place to stop the message. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, maybe you could, but I mean, like, you are loved and everybody's a sinner and let's go home, right? No, let's get some good news in here. God so loved that he solved the problem that we couldn't solve. We all fear disease, cancer. Even this COVID. We all fear what we, we may not get. We, we fear what might come our way, we, we forget to fear what we already have. And that's a sin problem. And that's a big problem. God solves not only the destiny, the disease, and the disaster problem. He solves our sin problem. The big problem. So write this down. For God so loved the world that he gave, that's the greatest act. Do you know the next words? His only son. His only son. God exists in Trinity. God the Father, the Almighty, the Eternal One. God the Son, who is the Creator, the Sustainer, the Redeemer. God the Spirit, who comforts us, who helps us. God stepped into time to solve the sin problem we couldn't solve. That's the whole point of the Incarnation putting on flesh, becoming like us. God sent Jesus, and he arrived, incarnated on earth as a man. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All in favor of that? Yeah, amen. Uh, Lenny, could you do me a favor? I, in the back of my seat there, I have a, a golf club. Could you bring that up to me? And I, I need... Uh, a couple of folks that I've asked to come and help me for this. I just want to kind of illustrate 
what this means here. Uh, Jeremy, if you would come, and uh, Caleb and, and Jeremiah. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, no, I'm going to. Thank you. Let's all thank Lenny, my caddy. And, and here's what I'd like, uh, Jeremiah, if, we, if you would stand right here in the center. And I think we're going to, yeah, I think we'll be good there. And Caleb, if you would stand on this side. And Jeremy. It's my good friend Jeremy. You guys know him. Jeremy's a really good guy, but I've known Jeremy, I don't know, 10 years maybe. And uh, did his wedding and seen his children come into the world. Jeremy. This is, your, this is yours, Jeremy. I want you to hold that. There's a truth. He's not, I'm not better than him. I could rightfully stand right here with him. But for the sake of this example, Jeremy, Jeremy's a, a good guy in all, in all accounts. He's an all right dude. And people know him, love him, and they laugh with him. and they, It's fun to play games with him and, and enjoy who he is. But Jeremy's a what? A sinner. Evil. And his sin is, we're going to have you step back just a little bit that way. The sin has separated him from God. And so for the sake of the, the story, who's God in the story? Right? You come to the center here. There we go. So who's this guy? Son. Right. And seriously, dads understand this, right? Only dads can understand the love between a father and a son. Something had to be done about the sin problem. And rightfully, God could turn that club towards the sinner. But God gave and turned towards the son. His only son. But that's not right. That's not right. He deserved it. Yes, 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 yes. But God so loved that he gave his son. You see? You see why this is the greatest verse in the Bible? This is who we are. And what we deserved was the club of justice, right? But instead of what we deserved, he turned it on the perfect one, the righteous one, the holy one. Thank you, guys. See why this is the greatest verse in the Bible? God so loved. Why would he do that? It's Good Friday, right? Jesus is paraded through the streets, people spitting on him, a crown of thorns on his head, holding up as much as he can a wooden cross. He's nailed to that cross. He's slammed into the ground. And he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Yet he also said, God, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. God so loved you. We'll never get it until we personalize it. God so loved you that he gave his only son. God poured on him the mighty judgment that you and I deserved so that we could be forgiven, that our sins could be washed away. Jesus died, don't miss this, Jesus died as our payment and rose again three days later to prove that he is God and victorious. He redeemed us, he justified us, he reconciles us, now he adopts us, he has forgiven us. The greatest sacrifice. And write this down, the greatest opportunity. That whosoever, 
at whosoever. The implication is all time forever forgiven. Look in the rearview mirror of your life filled with regret, filled with shame, filled with decisions you wish you had could not done that you could have done better in. Secrets still buried. And this is why whosoever is awesome. Point to whosoever. Right? It's for all of us. God doesn't have this little card that says restricted access. You ever, you ever been to a concert and you see people with backstage pass? I'm here to tell you, if you walk through the backstage pass section and without a backstage pass, you're not getting in. All access, without that badge, you're not getting in. I was thinking about, how many are on Facebook? Like, we're doing this Facebook Live right now, and, and so many of you I know are on Facebook, right? Some of you have chosen not to be great, praise God. Um, but here's the deal, right? Even in the Facebook world, when they went public... Did you get an invite? Did they invite you to come and buy the first shares of Facebook? No. It was only a select few. That's why this is great. The love of God is for whoever. That whosoever. It's for everyone. God is our all-access backstage pass. Regardless of race. Regardless of Listen, God's not the God of just America, right? God is the God of around the world, and God's doing amazing things in Muslim countries now. He's doing amazing things in African countries now, in India, in, and we're hoping to go to Nepal in the fall. He's doing awesome things there. He's doing great things in China. It's whosoever. Doesn't matter your social status. I mean, seriously, look around the room. Really doesn't matter your social status. Believes. That whoever believes, whosoever believes, that's the greatest response. Universalism says everybody gets in. No. The Bible says otherwise. God says, I have my love. It's available for all of you. I'm willing to forgive you of all of your sins through the shed blood of my cross if you believe. If you believe. Your response is to respond to Jesus today. Your response is to respond to Jesus today. Not hopefully, right? There's hopeful belief. You ever heard of hopeful belief? Anybody have a favorite? Um, anybody like me like the Lions football team? Game one, we're going to win the Super Bowl. That's hopeful belief. What I'm really saying is, I really hope we win the Super Bowl. There's intellectual belief. Nutrition and fitness is my greatest example for that, right? Because I believe, I believe, I believe that nutrition and fitness is good for me. But let's not just make it about me. How many of, how many of you here, let's just raise your hand if you believe that nutrition and fitness is good for you. Now, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Now, you can put your hands down if you are actually doing something about it. Yeah, right. So you have intellectual belief. I know it's good for me. I know it's good for me, but I should probably do it, but I'm really not doing it. Now listen, if you're hopeful about Jesus, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. That's not belief. That's not what he's talking about here. And if you know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but... Intellectually, you understand it. You're not believing at all, though. That's not biblical belief. Conceptually, you believe in a lot of things. We believe in the family. We believe in children, right? It's for the children. We, we, we believe in marriage, but how many of us are turned our backs on those very same things we believe in? 
Hopefully, that's not belief. Intellectually, that's not belief. Conceptually, that's not belief. Here's what belief is. I have a slide for you. Uh, Why don't we put that first slide up if we could. Before there was TV and Netflix and all those other things, Facebook, society would go and watch crazy people do funny things or great things. And some of you know the story of Blondin. Blondin was a a tightrope walker. And he would always draw a crowd and he would love to walk across Niagara Falls, but... After the first time he did it, it was great. The second time was okay. But then as the crowd began to diminish, Blondin had to think of a new way to keep drawing a crowd, to keep his name and his fame out there. And so, so Blondin said, come next week and I'm going to carry someone across the falls. And then he looked at his manager. He goes, find me someone that I can carry across the falls. And his manager asked all week, would you let... Blondin carry you across the falls? No. But don't you think he's a great tightrope walker? I mean, he would do all kinds of tricks on the tightrope as he walked across the falls. Yes, he's fantastic. Well, then would you be the one? No. So Blondin looked at his manager and said, you're going to do it. So here's a picture of them crossing the falls together, holding on for dear life. Now, I tell you that because that is a great picture of belief. We don't want to do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. We need the one who will actually take us to the other side. Remember, we're universes apart. We couldn't build our way to God. We couldn't jump to God. We couldn't be righteous enough to get to God. We need one who provides the way and we get on his back. That's trusting. I don't know what it looks like, God, but I know that you're the one that's going to get me there. I don't know what that looks like. I'm holding on for dear life. Believing in Jesus in the way that he saves you, that gains God's forgiveness, that garners the free gift of eternal life, for you to believe in Jesus Christ is the belief that he carries you across. You put all your eggs in that basket. And if you were to die today, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Your right response is you shouldn't, except for John 3.16. I believed. I believed. I put all my eggs in Jesus. It's not because of your church. It's not because you came on Easter. I love the fact that you guys all came on Easter. It's because you climbed on the back of your Savior who loved you and died for you, defeated death and rose again so that you could have eternal life. You cannot be trusting Jesus as your Savior without a real sense that every step you take is on his back. That you have tasted that he is good. That he is the bread of life. You believe that his substitutionary death was sufficient for a holy God to forgive you. Jesus in my place. The greatest verse in the Bible, right? In him, that's the greatest Savior. That's the greatest Savior. 1 John 5, 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you that you may know you have eternal life. Jesus the greatest Savior. And then write this down. Should not perish, that's the greatest promise. Should not perish, the greatest promise. Think about that. We don't have to wonder. See, apart from Jesus, you will perish. Hey, that's not very nice. That's the truth. And I want to tell you the truth. Without Jesus Christ, and his substitution death on your behalf, you will perish. You will suffer in a real place called hope, hell, where there is no hope. And I've told you this before, and I'll tell you it again until you have it burned in your memory. Hell is a place where no one wants to go because there is no hope. 
And if there is a bird who would fly to hell every thousand years and drop a pebble so that one day a bridge might be built out of hell, the people in hell would have hope. But there is no bird. And there is no pebble. And there is no hope. Apart from these words, shall not perish. That's the greatest promise. That's the greatest promise. Tozer said, every ransomed man owes his life and salvation to the fact that during the days of his sinning, God kept the door for mercy open by refusing to accept any of his sin as acts of evil as final. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but, write this down, the greatest difference. Heaven is your gift. You can't save yourself, it is a gift. But is the greatest difference. Every world religion says if you just work harder, if you just are better, if you just do, 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 one day you will achieve nirvana, godlike status, heaven. Only Christianity says there's nothing you can do. I've already done it. I've already done it. The greatest difference. But hell is filled with people that said, I did it my way. The message of the Bible is, but God showed his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. Do you know? Christ died for us. Two to go. Have, that's the greatest certainty, now listen, it's not arrogant to say, I believe in Jesus, and therefore, I have eternal life. Because it's a promise from God. And if I can trust God, I can trust in the promise of God. Amen? It's the greatest certainty. Will not perish, but have. You have it. Say, I have it. I, ho- I hope so. I hope you have it. If you say, well, I think I do, you don't. You know that you know that you know because you've placed your faith in him. You've climbed on his back for him to take you to the other side. You've said, death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? And you look at him and say, take me across because I believe you saved me. Well, our worship team is going to come. We're going to, we're going to sing our way out. But I have to ask you a question. Just look up here for a second. What is your greatest possession? You can maybe write it down. This is my greatest earthly possession, you know, something you might have in your home. And because we're in church, I know initially you're going to go, oh, it's my salvation. And that's really awesome. But I'm just talking about an earthly possession that you might have. You got it written down? You got it written down? So a thousand years from now, how great is that possession going to be for you? Eternal life. That's the greatest possession. Right? Because eternal life, a thousand years from now, is really going to matter. Is really going to matter. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Do you have it? Do you have it? The Bible tells us to turn from our sins and to turn to God. To run to God. Our living hope. Have you done that? Have you done that? His payment was enough. But you must respond. You must believe. Well, how, how do I do that, Nate? Well, the scripture says you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe, remember we talked about that, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Not hopeful belief, not intellectually believing, but actually believing that God raised him from the dead. And you confess by by praying to him, confessing your need of him. In fact, fact, why don't we just just bow our heads and and, and just, I want to take this moment for just a minute, close our eyes and, 
I want to give you the opportunity if if you've never come to Jesus, that you have this opportunity now to do that. And so if if you're here today and you're like, well, I don't know if I'm saved, I I know that you can, can have that today. And you can confess that today, your need of Him. Just pray with me. Pray after me. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not innocent. I deserve your judgment. But I believe that you placed that judgment on your son so that I could be forgiven. I believe that. Tell him that. Tell him that you believe it. I invite Jesus into my life to be my Savior, to be my Master, to be my Lord. I invite Him in today. I invite Him in now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Only You can do this. So Father, we pray if there's anyone here today that, that, that heard the word of the greatest verse in the Bible, receive salvation, that you would encourage them in their steps and that they would be bold in their their conversations going forward and that they would let others know. But to you be the glory in the church, Father. We thank you for the greatest verse in the Bible, that you so loved us that you gave your only Son our living hope that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting or eternal life. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.